Welcome to the Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. And today our topic is on myeloproliferative disorders. Yeah, um, I'm really excited. It's a really interesting topic, actually. Um, and it's sort of following th- on from our talks about lymph- uh, you know, cancers of the blood and I guess this falls into that category. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, do I you want to say it's a cancer of the blood? Well, kind of, isn't it? Because you have these abnormal sort of cell growth. Let's talk about it. And, yeah. and then the audience can make up their mind about whether this is a cancer <laughs> or not. It is a pluripotent disorder. Yes. To begin with. All right. Do you want to maybe actually define it a little bit for us? Okay. So the myeloproliferative disorders are essentially neoplasms that lead to an increase of mature blood cells in the uh, of myeloid origin yeah. um, so essentially you've got lots of myeloid cells that are ma- in their mature form and that's what essentially the myeloproliferative disorders mm. are describing yeah and i think it's important for us to emphasize maturity as opposed to our al or all or in this case aml aml yeah. acute myelo um, myeloleukemias which we talked about in yeah. our previous podcast they're completely immature right yeah. so you would think naturally that you're producing immature cells so they might still have some rem- remnants of function don't they yeah so they from my understanding that, that they work pretty mm. much like a what a mature one should work as yeah they're just proliferating much more than what mm. would be normally so what are some of the common types um so you you could probably think of it from like what type of cells you would expect in a myeloid uh, origin. So we've got red blood cells, we've got white blood cells, like the granulocytes, and um, you've also got um, platelets from the megakaryocytes. So from these three, you can pretty much name the diseases that they, they cause. So increased red blood cells lead to polycythemia vera, increased uh, granulocytes, or the white blood cells, you get the chronic myeloid leukemias, and increased platelets would lead to the essential thrombocythemia. Yeah, exactly. There are some other rare ones that we won't really talk about, like chronic um, myelomonocytic leukemia or um, mastocytosis. But let's mm-hmm. talk about the common ones. And if you guys yeah. are interested in the more rare types, yep. by all means, go and have a read. And if you find anything interesting, do send us an email and we'd love to hear from you guys. Sounds good. All right. So, Andy, I know like... You know, if you, this is, we'll talk about the pathology, but this is generally a disorder of the stem cells, right? So you yes. can actually think that most of these cells would be, all, all the sort of myeloid cell lines would be affected. How does the naming work then? So definitely. So let's say with the polycythemia vera, although it's the red blood cells that's increased the most, it's important to note that all other types of cells, so the white blood cells and the platelets, can also be increased. So it's not an exclusively red blood cell uh, increased disease. Mm-hmm. Or to answer your question, actually, so all of all three of them will be raised in a myeloproliferative disorder, but some of them will be raised more than others. Yeah. And it, the the one that's raised the most will be how the disease is. Yeah, named. I think that's a general rule of thumb. Yeah, and I guess we worry about this condition because you know one, it can lead to myelofibrosis, which we'll talk about, mm-hmm. especially the aggressive subtypes. Yes, and also obviously acute leukemia, where suddenly these cells transform into, you know, some, acquire some sort of mutations along the way and just become far more aggressive, and then you have to treat it yep. as they as you're, you're treating AML. Yeah. Um, do you want to maybe talk? Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to add before we get into it? Uh, I'm happy to dive into cool. it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about um, chronic myeloleukemia or CML. Why not? Um, well, what is it? So it is a increased proliferation of the granulocytic cell line. So we're, you're increasing the granulocytes, but 
once again, it's important to note that these granulocytes are fully functioning and they're mature. Is that what you had in mind? Yeah, that's pretty much my understanding as well. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, they uh, have matured. They still may have some functioning um, as, as, you know, as per the normal sort of roles within the immune system. Mm -hmm. But they just have, you have a massive number of these or elevated level of these numbers. Can you tell me what cells would be out of, you know, out of the myeloid sort of the granulocytes? Because obviously there's lots of different cells that belong to it. What's affected? So the granulocytes, they include what? Eosinophils, basophils, um, and... Uh, what, what's another one? Neutrophils. <laughs> Neutrophils. <laughs> yeah. Missed the obvious one. <laughs> Sorry. The one that actually yeah. has granules. <laughs> Whatever. Um, okay, so, yeah. Basophils usually are the ones that are increased the most. Yeah, that, that's a telltale sign that yep. you might have CML. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the problem with this is that, like, you're going to have massive sort of expansion of these mature cells within the bone marrow, and that could lead to, you know, disruption of the normal hematopoiesis probably not as dramatic as mm. aml but it can still do that to an extent yeah but the question is how does this come about like you know are there some genetic changes that it might be it, occurring it's a mutation in the pluripotent stem cell so you have to think back you picture that diagram of like the um the stem cell lineage of hematopoiesis uh, and it's the the key stem cell the one that uh, begins before myeloid and mm. um uh, lymphoid uh, cell lines so it's the stem cell itself that's that's the problem and yeah. so a marker of that stem cell is a cd34 yeah. positive um, receptor on it and so that's that's one thing to keep in mind so with cml there those cells are cd34 positive well the stem cells would be cd34 positive but they but as they develop and mature oh, then their um cd um, profile changes depending on okay. the cell line that's but affected. the mutation begins at the CD34. I, I believe, yeah. yeah. Which is interesting. You know, you have to then think to yourself, you know, why is it only the myeloid line that's affected if it's a stem cell? So there must be something else going on. And I don't fully understand, you mm. know, what happens. I have a relatively, you know, a loose understanding, but I can't really understand mm. explain why that's the case. Yeah. What sort of genetic mutations would you expect in CML? Yeah. There's so, a particular chromosome named after a Exactly. Location. Yes. And maybe it was where it was discovered, wasn't maybe. it? Maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. So it's called the Philadelphia chromosome. And so it's a translocation from 9 to 22. Mm. And what is resulting is this very famous uh, fusion called the uh, BCR ABLE. Mm. Yeah. And what essentially it does is that, so one part is the BCR, the other part's the ABLE. And because of the 9 to 22 translocation, you form this new thing called a BCR ABLE, which is an active tyrosine kinase um, generator. I yeah, think. exactly. So the uh, so the ABLE component, which yep. is on gene, so on chromosome nine, is translocated onto chromosome twenty two, which has the BCR, and that does something weird. Can you explain what happens then? Something dramatic happens that leads to this disease. Well, tyrosine kinase it acts as an on-off switch. And so with this mutation, the tyrosine kinase is constantly on, and that would lead to an increased um, cell growth and cell proliferation. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's why the cells are getting this constantly on message, and that's why they're dividing so much. Mm. Um, I think this disease is associated with three key phases, right? Can you just remind me what those phases are? Um, So there's a chronic phase, an accelerated phase, and then there's a a blast crisis Mm. where where it mutates from... it, It loses its chronic... Uh, yeah. component and goes into an acute yeah exactly attack. so yeah i mean with the chronic phase about 85 percent of patients are diagnosed at this stage and it could be just an incidental finding on a blood work okay and the blood would have about you know less than 10 percent 
of the blast, which is, you know, mm-hmm. there is still some blast because you have this high turnover, but not dramatically like you might expect in AML. Yep. And then in the accelerated phase, you have about 10 to 20, 10, almost 10 to 19% of your blood is composed of um, blast. And that's, you're starting to become a, you know, a much more aggressive form mm-hmm. of this disease and you start worrying. Yep. And in the, blast crisis i mean it's a crisis so it must be very serious mm. um then you have more than 20 percent blast and that's starting to fit your definition of AM, um, aml yes and that's when you really need to act quickly because the patient could you know unfortunately die um, as a consequence if you don't intervene yeah so it, it turns into like uh, acute leukemia pretty and much it, yeah. it's interesting to know that it could be it doesn't a cml doesn't have to evolve into aml it could also go into the lymphocytic leukemia. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I read that. Yeah, mm. and it goes back to that this was because of a mutation in the the, the stem cell that could have gone to either both either cell lines. Mm. So so once again, that's I think that's really interesting to take. Note yeah, of. good point. Um, mm. thanks for mentioning that. What would be some of the clinical features? Okay, so with the um, leukemia, you would either have fatigue, weight loss night sweats um but similarly to uh, acute leukemia you would also have splenomegaly because the um hemopoiesis has moved extra medullary into mm. into the spleen kind of that crowding out thing isn't it where yeah. you know there's not enough room in the bone marrow so then you get um extra medullary organs a classic example being the spleen to suddenly start doing that because it's still you remember when the mm. ba- the fetus is developing originally the spleen was doing a lot of the hard lifting yeah and now the spleen is kind of taking over again yeah are there any other symptoms there's Definitely. one that is a really worrisome one um starts with l what, leukostasis that's the one yeah so that's when um when you've got too much leukocytes and they start to uh they've got intravascular mm. aggregations and they clump together that could lead to occlusions in the microcirculation. Yeah, so you can start having ischemic hemorrhages and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and anemias could occur as well because, once again, the crowding yeah, effect yeah, probably exactly. could impair on other cell uh, proliferations. Yeah, that's right. And we kind of mentioned that it does eventually, if it's not, if it's not unmanaged, can transform mm-hmm. uh, into a sort of the blast crisis. Yes. And then you can have symptoms associated with AML. Yeah. So that profound immunosuppression and things like that, because the mm-hmm. cells are then not mature, they're blasts. Yep. And that's why we get worried. Mm-hmm. How do you diagnose it? So similarly to the leukemias, you would do a bone marrow biopsy to have a look at what's it like mm. in the bone marrow. You would do a peripheral blood smear to look at what kind of blood cells you find outside. And also it would be great to do some genetic testings to find this BCR able translocation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's, that's <coughs> exactly what you want. You would do. And you use, you know, techniques like fish. Um, we'll talk about fish and when we talk about lymphomas, I think that's slightly more relevant there. Yeah. But yeah, that's, you just do a cytogenetic study. Mm. How do you treat it? I, I think this mm. CMLs treatments are revolutionary in my opinion. These are like the first sort of really hardcore targeted mm. approaches to, to treatment. So what would be some first line treatments like for chronic? With, um, imatinib, you, is something that you, you probably should know of in terms of these things, be, mainly because it was, designed as a target to stop this bcr able um to turn yeah. off the the tyrosine kinase mm. and it was actually designed it wasn't some random you know drug i mean mm. drug that was discovered it was through biochemical engineering it was designed for that receptor mm. and so what how, how does it work again just remind me doesn't it uh, it inhibits the atp binding site on yeah. the bcr able um the, the the kinase over there and so essentially it shuts it off mm. if it's shut off then yeah. pretty much you've 
you've temporarily fixed the root of the, the cause. Yeah. Mm. Is it a permanent, is it a cure or is it some like a more of a chronic treatment? Uh, as I said, it's a temporary thing. Yeah. So it, once the drug wears off, the I think the kinase would, would reactivate. So yeah. you need to constantly give a dose. Of, exactly right. True, yeah. The way I remember it yep. is like it's kind of like antibiotics, right? If you constantly treat a population of rapidly dividing cells, yep. right? Bacteria can be regarded in that sense. Then there's bound to be one or two naughty cells that develop mm. mutations that are, make it resistant. Mm. And I think over time you can't use imatinib because these cell lines develop mutations. Okay. Thankfully, there are some options, Andy, aren't they? Oh yeah. What are some like I guess second and third line options which are more potent at binding and negate that mutation? Can you name me some examples? So things like uh dasatinib or nilotinib. Yeah. Um I guess you can tell from their names that they're kind of targeted towards mm-hmm. it. But yeah, so they're they're also similar similar acting things but just use second or third line in order to Yeah, and they just overcome the sort of mutations that these cells may have acquired. Because I think there's a mm. pattern in terms of the mutations that they develop mm. as well, which is really interesting. Yeah. So what other treatments are there for um for CML? There's also um um interferon alpha and I think inter- I don't know whether it's commonly used in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's used overseas, but mm. it Interferon alpha improves the uh, tyrosine kinase inhibiting activity. Okay. There's hydroxyurea as well. And I think prior to the imatinib coming mm. into the market, hydroxyurea was used quite a lot. Okay. Probably now it's fallen a little bit out of favor. Yeah. But what does it do? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's for palliation. It doesn't cure the condition. Okay. It just suppresses cell turnover in the bone marrow. Okay. And it does, it's like a shotgun. It does all the cell lines. Okay. That's why it's a little bit more problematic. Yeah. Whereas imatinib just targets the CML cells. Yes. Um, but if we want, Sort of if the patient transforms and goes into the accelerated phase, are there any treatment options for them there? Uh, are you talking about bone marrow transplantation? Or? Yeah, that's one option. But I guess you would probably try the third, second and third line options first. And then if the patient still doesn't respond, then you know bone marrow is probably something to be considered if, if the uh, patient's age is suitable and yep. if they are relatively, uh, they have smaller, you know, minimal comorbidities. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, I mean, does stem cell transplant cure, or does it just it, prolong? It would, right? Yeah, like, because you're you're fixing the stem cell uh, the the stem cell issue, you're giving completely healthy, non problematic yeah. stem cells. But once again, we have to consider like graft versus host disease. Mm, that's the thing, isn't it? And yeah, it, it comes at risks. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Is, is there anything else you want to add for CML? You know, I think we've covered. Yeah, uh, we've, we've covered. I some. think so. That's that's pretty much um, you know sort of what we learned in lectures and what you know we've read up on. Yeah. Um, the whole point is chrom- uh, Philadelphia chromosome is important. It yes. leads to this active tyrosine kinase, and yep. this tyrosine kinase can be inhibited by imatinib, which mm-hmm. is the first line, mm-hmm. and it's revolutionized the treatment of this condition. Sounds good. Sounds we good. also mentioned that there are other sort of myeloproliferative disorders. An example is polycythemia vera. Yes. Can you tell me what that's about? So it's a disorder where there's lot of red blood cell production mm. um, while you also have white cells and platelet productions that are increased as well but the red blood cell is just overwhelming yeah that's right um, this has to be noted that it's independent of EPO because you would expect um, if you give lots of EPO the body will respond by increasing mm. red blood cell production but in- if you give lots of EPO and you see a raise in um, rise in the red blood cells that it's called a reactive polycythemia. Yeah. Whereas polycythemia vera is completely independent of EPO. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, and I guess we need to distinct. It would be remiss of us not to mention what reactive polycythemia is. Do you want to maybe go through it? Yeah. Why not? So we've got like you. You might think of like what conditions would lead 
to a body to increase its EPO production. Mm. So let's say if you've got red blood cell production or EPO production. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So let's, let's think about what would raise your EPO first. So if you've got, um, if you're hypoxic, mm. maybe you've been mountain climbing for a long time, your body will try to produce more, um, red blood cells by raising your EPO production. Um, let's say if you've got a renal carcinoma that is, um, because the EPO is produced from the, the, uh, the kidneys, let's say if something's wrong with the kidneys, then it's pumping out lots of EPO unnecessarily, but that will secondarily lead to a rise in red blood cells. So yeah. that's, that's, um, a reactive polycythemia. Another one, interestingly, was let's say if you're dehydrated and your actual red blood cell concentration increases because you've got less, uh, plasma, plasma. volume. Yeah, that's also. Your effective volume is reduced, but you still <clears throat> have the same amount of red blood cells. Hmm. So it's this so- pseudo increase in polycythemia. Yeah. I guess that's what you need to rule out. You make, you have to make sure if you want to, it's a serious diagnosis. You want to make sure you rule out the reactive causes. Hmm. Interestingly, um, yep. you know, if you have renal carcinoma, that is, producing lots of EPO, mm-hmm. that can also do it as well. So you need yep. to rule out other malignancies that are not related to the bone marrow. Yes. Um, it's got a really interesting pathophysiology. It do you does. want to maybe mention... Why don't you take this one? Um, all right. So um, <laughs> if you guys don't understand um, what, what we're about to say, maybe have a look at, have a listen to our yep. hematopoiesis um, phys- uh, physiology talk yes. at the start of um, the hematology block. Mm. But the pathophysiology is related to JAK2 mutation. JAK, yes. So JAK2 is a... Um, it's a tyrosine kinase from my understanding. Okay. And normally you have, it's got a couple of proteins that are also um, associated with it. It's got, uh, it's been associated with JH2 and JH1. Okay. Now, JH2 normally inhibits JH1, which is attached to the JAK2. Okay. It's a bit confusing. Yes. And so what happens is that when the cell comes in contact with EPO, mm-hmm. EPO causes confirmation or change of the JAK2. Okay. And that releases JH2, which was originally an inhibitor, right? Mm-hmm. So that frees up JH1, and JH1 then does the normal tyrosine kinase activity. Okay. Having said that, in polycythemia vera, mm-hmm. the JH2 is mutated, so it's not actually doing its inhibitory role. And as a consequence, JH1 is out of control. It's just constantly sending uh-huh. downstream signals for proliferation and activation okay. of um, red blood cell um, erythrogenesis, I guess. And that's why you have such a high elevated levels of red blood cells in in the body. Yeah. The reason you might expect Jack, uh, other cells to also be elevated is because JAK2 also plays a role in other cell lines as well. And yeah. that's why you might see elevations in other cell types as well. Cool. But that's pretty much the passive physiology. It's related to JAK2. Yeah. And again, the reason why we care about all of this conditions mm. is that there's a potential for transformation into AML mm. or myelodysplasia or even myelofibrosis, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. What are some of the clinical features if you have too much red blood cells in your in your body? Well, you can have a very viscous, um, very viscous blood. So it's called the hyperviscosity syndrome. Yeah. Um, that could lead to thrombophilia, mainly mm. because if you think back about the um, vir- virtual triad, the viscosity or the uh, the way the blood flows is is quite important in the clotting cascade. Yeah. So increased viscosity, increased clotting. This can lead to things like Budd-Chiari syndrome, where there's a um, there's clot is it clot formation in the portal uh the portal tract? I think what happens is that in the portal veins you yep. get thrombi formation, right? Yeah. And then that leads to increased pressure in the portal veins. Yep. And then you develop portal hypertension, mm. which can eventually then if you don't treat it, develop lead to spelonomegaly uh, and mm. so you know, you know the downward pathways that might okay. result as a consequence. Yep. Um and I think these patients because there's got so much red blood cell, you know when you go for a 
jog and then suddenly your face gets dilated. I mean, it happens to me anyway. Yeah. And you feel really red. Yes. That's kind of what they look like. They always look like they've, these patients are flushed. Okay. If you've got lots of red blood cells, yep. there's going to be lots more peripheral resistance. And remember, okay. your blood pressure is peripheral resistance times cardiac output, right? Okay. And so as a consequence, if your peripheral resistance goes up, your blood pressure is going to go up as well. Ah, that makes sense. So you're going to have hypertension. Yeah. Now... Red blood cells are broken down in the spleen. Yep. So if you have way too much of these red blood cells, then you're going to develop splenomegaly as well. Okay. In addition to the consequences associated with portal hypertension. Yep. Um, would you, do you expect these patients to have gout? Interesting. Or have yes. gout-like symptoms? Um, and that's because of a, um, because the red blood cells, when they turn over, they, they contain purines and, um, essentially with gout, it's a, it's a hyperuricemia from the purines. Mm. So with, the increased cell turnover, you actually develop a yeah, chance of get, exactly. getting gout. I, I don't think it's um, the red blood cells per se that would do it. Was it? Uh, it's just the rapid cell turnover in general. Because remember, okay. red blood cells don't have DNA. True. And ribosome, and they've only I think they've only got ribosomes. Okay, I might have been getting things. Mixed. But I think yep. it's just the general cell, cell rapid cell turnover in this condition that can lead to that. Yeah. Something that they these patients develop itchiness when they go bath, uh, having take a bath or a hot shower. Why is mm. that? I think that was from the increased mast cells. Um, the if you've got more mast cells and under heat they degranulate and then they yeah pretty much so they develop <laughs> itchy skin. You just get itchy. Um, yeah. All right. Mm. So we kind of mentioned about diagnosis about how you need to exclude polycythemia um, reactive, reactive conditions. Yes. Um, so let's jump to treatment. How do you treat? There's one obvious treatment that you do. Uh, you drain their blood, phlebotomy. Pretty much phlebotomy. Yeah. And then what does that do to the iron level? Yeah, you can. You can lose iron. Yeah. And so that can be an inhibitory signal for proliferation of these red blood cells because now they don't have enough iron Mm -hmm. to build these red blood cells. So it might somewhat slow the disease down a bit. Interesting. Because you're inducing an iron deficient state. Yeah. Um, We kind of mentioned about hydroxyurea as well. That seems to to be the treatment of choice before any... A lot of things, yeah. Yeah, a lot lot of these conditions. And again, that just generally causes reduced cell turnover. Yeah. Remember how we mentioned thrombophilia? Yes. How do you manage the risk factor for that? Uh, you give low-dose aspirin. Yep. Yep. And if they've got gout, you give allopurinol. Yep. Um, which is a xanthine, um, is a xanthine oxidase inhibitor? I can't remember. Something like that. Yeah. It just inhibits, um, uric acid formation. Yeah. And then you give antihistamines for the mast cell de- degranulation. Yes. That's it. So the key cause for this is Jack's, uh, Jack 2. Jack 2. Um, and due to a mutation in the JH2, which is normally inhibitory and inhibits excessive activity of this, um, receptor. Yep. Now, let's talk about essential thrombocytopenia. Mm-hmm. How do you define it? Well, it's a increase in the megakaryocytic lineage yeah. with greater than uh, 450 times 10 to the power of 9 cells per liter. Yeah. If you've got too many megakaryocytes, that means there's lots of megakaryocytes sh- um, shedding, which would lead to an increase in your platelet count. Yep, perfect. Mm. Um, yeah, that's about it. And again, it's related to JAK2 mutation. As we mentioned, JAK2 plays a role in you know lots of different cell lines, so mm-hmm. you don't be surprised when you see it. Yep. Um, now, because you're forming lots of platelets, that can lead to thrombus formation. But interestingly, it can lead to hemorrhage as well. Mm. You know, what's the reason why it can either do... I don't understand the throm- thrombus because, you know, you've got lots of platelets. Yeah. Platelets could lead to clotting. But interestingly, sometimes, let's say, the platelets could be of a um, of a crappy quality. Mm. And that In that case, you, even if you've got lots of platelets, then 
the clot you might actually have an increased likelihood of bleeding. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a bit paradoxical, but sometimes it could be the dysfunctional platelets that lead to the increased likelihood yeah. of hemorrhage. Yeah. And interestingly, you don't really <coughs> expect gout in this condition because the megakaryocytes are not rapidly turning over, and okay. your platelets don't have any sort of DNA. Pure sure. component, so that's why you don't tend to see gout, and you don't see splenomegaly because the platelets are not being tagged by any antibodies and they're not being destroyed by the spleen, so there's no splenomegaly. Sure. And the good news about this condition is that it rarely transforms into the more sinister cancer, so it doesn't really transform into AML or rarely transforms. Yeah. Um, so, what are some of the investigations that you might perform? Um, you could look at the the full blood count, so you will see increased number of platelets. Um, you can also look at the JAK2 to, to do a PCR study. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then also you'd probably also look at their bone marrow just to see what it looks like. And you'd probably expect a lot, lots of megakaryocytes. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the bone marrow biopsy would be quite revealing as well. Mm-hmm. And again, with the treatment, hydroxyurea, surprise, surprise. We've seen that that True. guy come up multiple times. Yeah. This, this is a new one, though. A negrolite, and I'm not sure whether I this is approved in Australia. Yeah. I haven't, I've, I haven't come across it, mm. but that suppression, that causes suppression in the megakaryocytes only, so it kind of okay. addresses that problem. It cool. seems to be a bit more selective. Yeah. Because of these patients being at an increased risk of thrombus formation in general, you give aspirin. Yep. And splenomegaly or splenectomy rarely occurs because the spleen doesn't really play a central role in this, this sure. disorder. Okay. Um, now, let's finish off the talk by talking, uh, by discussing primary myeloid fibrosis. Now, this is myeloid interesting. Fibrosis. Um, so that's one of those really bad consequences of some of these conditions. But it's okay. also, it's an entity in itself as well. Sure. Um, can so, you yeah. go through what happens? So essentially, the myeloid fibrosis from the name itself is a fibrous pathology occurring in the bone. And so uh, I guess the bone itself has lots of my, uh, fibrous bands that, um, that, yeah. that develop within it, and mm. that can affect the space that usually that he, where hemopoiesis occurs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it can lead to bone marrow failure just because there's just limited space. Mm. Um, you expect to also see um, leukoerythroblastosis. What is that? Which is kind of, it, again, it relates to the um, occupying lesion. Because okay. you've got this lesion that takes up so much space in the bone marrow, you're going to develop anemia, mm-hmm. broadly speaking, because the cells are not able to, the normal cells are not able to divide and yep. develop. Why do you develop teardrop cells? There's a good memory. Yeah. There's a good sort of way to appreciate this. So one of the uh, the ways that I, I got taught it was that with the teardrop um, red blood cells in particular is that with the fibrous, um, you can picture like fibrous uh, tissues creating like a mesh within the bone marrow and the red blood cells that are finally produced have to squeeze through this mesh and when they get squeezed out they form this like teardrop shape. yeah that's how i learned it as well yeah so it's that poor red blood cells getting squished through this yeah you know fibrotic bone marrow it's just tear it's, it's making you cry the bone marrow <laughs> yeah um so that's yeah you get teardrop formation yeah. um but what's the actual pathophysiology associated with this condition apparently it's due to the proliferation of either megakaryocytes and granulocytes in the bone marrow that re- produce this um PDGF production. Yeah. What What's that? PDGF? Uh, platelet-derived growth factor. Awesome. Perfect. It? Yeah. Yeah. And so the platelet-derived growth factor from the platelets actually end up recruiting some fibroblasts, and unfortunately, fibroblasts will produce fiber, and so it causes fibrosis of the um, bone marrow. Which leads to decrease hematopoiesis. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, you start getting some extra 
medullary hematopoiesis. So, you know, particularly the, the spleen is an important player here. Yeah. This is bad because it, I think it's got one of the highest risks of transformation to AML. Okay. So between five to 30%, which is pretty, pretty massive. Mm. Um, the same sort of rates that you might expect for myelo, um, dysplastic syndromes Jeez. as well. Yeah. Um, or, uh, or aplastic anemias. Yeah. So what are some of the clinical, f- uh, actually, before we go ahead, it's again associated with JAK2. So you guys need to just remember JAK2 and it, pretty much covers all of them except um, CML, which was exactly. for the chromosome. Exactly. But what are some of the clinical features, Andy? We could say that the patient would be asymptomatic at the point of diagnosis, but as time goes on, they would develop splenomegaly. You could get hepatomegaly, and all of these is just because the... Um, the hemopoiesis has moved outside of the bone into the um, into the rest of the body. Yeah, and I think if you develop splenomegaly, right, that mm-hmm. can lead to increased pressure in the vasculature as well, and it can oh, eventually true. lead to hepatomegaly ah. because of that increased pressure. Got it. Um, and then, you know, due to that portal hypertension that you might develop. Mm-hmm. Now, your bone is pretty much mm-hmm. fibrotic, right? So you might expect some pain and um, bone pain and joint pain. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you can have just non-specific symptoms. You know, your immune cells might be down a bit, um, so that increases risk of infection. Yep. But yeah, it's quite broad in terms of some of the symptoms you can yep. you can observe. How do you diagnose it? So we would look at bone marrow biopsies, which would show a um, proliferative stage as well, or a fibrotic stage. Mm. Essentially, you're just looking at what. Um, what the bone marrow looks like. Yeah, I think proliferative, yeah. sorry to interrupt, proliferative no, no, stage is that earlier point, and okay. then once the disease progresses, that's all you see, just fibrosis. Yes. I would imagine it paints quite a different picture mm. compared to either polycythemia, vera, or the yeah. other ones we mentioned. Yeah. Um, then you would also look at the blood, the blood smear would look like, so what kind of blood cells you've got floating around. Yep. And uh, apparently you would see lots of leukoerythroblastic-looking cells. Yeah. Yep. And then you can also do tests to identify a JAK2 mutation, yep. and then we'll treat accordingly. Yeah, I mean, treating uh, treating this condition, I, th- I don't think there is any treatment for it at the moment. Um, our lecturer said that, um, our hem- hematologist who, who taught us this, yeah. said that there are lots of drugs in development. Mm. Um, Ruxolitinib, I think I'm not pronouncing it properly, um, <laughs> I don't is know. one. But the problem with yeah. these drugs is, remember how we said JAK2 is present everywhere it plays a role in lots of different pathways yes. right yes these drugs are extremely toxic as it stands at the moment unless there's been new developments because you know, they're not yeah, yeah you can affect lots of different pathways so yeah. there isn't much you can do it's pretty much supportive care and transfusions at this stage which is really oh, bad man. um it's got a really poor prognosis yeah and and you can't even do bone marrow transplants did you know, did you know that because you've got fibrosis no, there so oh. the bone marrow is completely non-usable so even if you put stem cells in there where are they going to grow they can't so it's a really bad condition yeah yeah do you want to add anything else before we finish this talk dude i think i've i think we've covered most yeah Yeah. um thank you so much for tuning in um we plan to head deep into lymphomas and and we'll do an introductory lecture on lymphomas and then we'll get get right into it um so stay tuned for our next episode thank you for listening guys bye